0: I'm extremely uh, excited to study the Lord's Prayer with you this morning. And uh, since we're studying that prayer, I think it's appropriate that we uh, begin with the prayer. So if you'll humble yourselves as we go to God in prayer at this time. Our Father in heaven, we humbly come before you. So thankful for this special time, this special day where we can assemble together to express our praise and our adoration and our gratitude for all that you are for all that you've done, all that you continue to do. And we pray, Father, that we would hallow your name, that we would honor you and and revere you as sacred and supremely valuable as our supreme treasure. Not only here this morning, but as we leave this place, may we be living sacrifices. May May you use us to advance your kingdom. May we do your will to your glory and honor. We're thankful, Father, for this special time to study your word, and we pray that you'd bless this time. We pray that our study of your word and our prayer, our communication with you would bring us into a more intimate, and closer relationship with you, Father, and we pray that your word, what you have to say to us, would feed what we have to say to you, would feed our prayers, and that we would learn to pray in the language of Scripture. We pray, Father, that you would bless us as we study the subject of prayer. We know, Father, that we often are deficient in our prayer life and the things that we ask for. We don't always know what to ask and how to ask them, Father. And so our prayer this morning is the disciples requested of Christ, Lord, teach us to pray. And we're thankful, Father, that he has made that possible through his teaching, through his life, through his death, burial, and resurrection. It's in the name of Jesus we pray this prayer. Amen. There's a story about two men who were discussing the Bible, and one of them finally told the other one, I don't think you know much about the Bible. He said, in fact, I bet you $10 you can't recite the Lord's Prayer. And the other man accepted the bet and began to say, now I lay me. Down to sleep. I pray the Lord, my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord, my soul to take. The other man began to laugh at him as he dug out ten dollars and said, I didn't think you knew it. And I think the question remains, even for us, right? Do we know it? Or has it become the familiarity of it that we've lost how profound it is with the meaning? It's become the heartless, meaningless, vain, repetitious thing that Jesus warns about in the preamble to this prayer. Do we really know the Lord's Prayer? Lord, teach us to pray. And I think it's astonishing out of all the things that the disciples, that's recorded, the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to do something. It wasn't teach us to preach, teach us to perform miracles. The request was, Lord, teach us to pray. His prayer life, his prayers must have been extraordinary. They were used to the hypocritical repetitious, empty, pointless, praying to parade, piety. This was something entirely different. It's unpretentious, it's to the point, it's private. Four sentences that could be said in less than 30 seconds. If I'm fired up, I could probably do it in around 10. If God scheduled a meeting for you to enter His presence into this this place where you can Tell him what's on your heart, what's going on in your life. I want to tell you, I don't think I'd be saying, now I lay me down to sleep. (laughs) Guide, guard, and direct us. I don't think I'd be talking in King James language. I don't talk to my dad like that. In 1500's English, my words would be precise, they'd be passionate, they'd be heartfelt. And consider and appreciate the prominence and power and place of prayer in the life of Christ and His public ministry. He prayed as much as anyone in all of human history, and yet he was the only perfect person to ever live. And if Christ needed prayer, if Christ needed to make time for prayer, we certainly do too. When you pray, not if, if you're a disciple of Christ, it's not if you pray, it's when you pray. Pray without ceasing, when you pray. When you pray, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites. That word literally meant actor, wanting to put yourself on display. Don't be as the hypocrites. And that's the context in the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5, verse 20, Except your righteousness exceeds the righteousnesses of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And so he's exposing their hypocrisy. He's preaching against self-centeredness and self-righteousness. They were hypocritical in their giving. They were hypocritical in their fasting. They were hypocritical in their praying. And yet we read, "Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray." And we think, that's wonderful. Oh, if everyone loved to pray, they love to pray, isn't that? Great? Why did they love to pray? Because they love God? Because they love being challenged and changed by prayer. They love to pray, that the reason's going to follow, here's the why, that they may be seen of men, to put themselves on display instead of putting their God on display. And so what's he rebuking? Is it the fact that they were standing? Is it their posture? We see in the Bible various postures. We see people standing. We see people bowing. We see people kneeling. We see people flat on their face. Is it the, the, the place that they are praying publicly instead of in secret? We see that public prayer is endorsed by the Bible. In the Old and New Testament, when we assemble together, we're to pray in public. We're to pray in the presence of others uh, at, at times. Is it... The repetition, Jesus and Paul both prayed for the same things three times. Let this cup pass from me. The thorn in the flesh, three times. Is it the fact that the prayer was long? There was much speaking. There were short prayers in the Bible. There were long prayers in the Bible. Jesus at times prayed all night. So it wasn't the posture. It wasn't the place. It wasn't the uh, repetition. It wasn't the length of the prayer. It was vanity. Their motive and positioning themselves at wide intersections so they could be seen of men, that was the problem. Prayer is about communion, not performance. And so Jesus says, pray in secret. Pray in secret. I think there's benefit to to having a secret place, a closet somewhere you go, special times consistently throughout the day. I think it's, it's beneficial to be talking to God constantly throughout your day, internally, short prayers, uh, while driving, even with your eyes open, right? I think there's a benefit in that. Praying throughout the day, constantly praying without ceasing, constantly in, in communication with God throughout the day, through study and through prayer. But going outside even, being under the stars and the moon and the wonder and all of Jesus would retreat to, uh, up on the mountain. I think there's a benefit in that. Finding these private places, this place of solitude and seclusion where we can develop habits of the heart and mind, that'll form us into the types of men and women God created us to be. One spiritual life will not rise above their private prayer life. And what you do in secret, what you do with your solitude, reveals who your God is. What you do when no one's watching, when there's no reward for being seen of men. And so Jesus, as was his custom, starts with motive. He starts with why, and then he proceeds to the what and the how. And we have this prayer recorded in Matthew. We have the prayer recorded in Luke. These were two different occasions. They weren't the same occasion. Two different occasions, same prayer essentially. And that tells us this is a fixed, set, pattern, outline, framework that all of our prayers should follow. What's the first word in the prayer? Are. Plural pronoun. Are. You're not an only child. That's the point. Not praying for things at the expense of everybody else. Our Father, the verse before that, Jesus calls his Father, your Father knows, our Father, and that's absolutely incredible, that's absolutely wonderful. We have a Father who cares, and a Father in heaven who is able to meet our needs. And Jesus goes on to say, if you being evil as parents know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so your perfect Father in heaven. And if you have children, if you have parents, if you have anybody in your life that you care about tremendously, what do we do? We give, and we give, and we give, because we love and we care. When we think about who we're praying to, who we're petitioning in prayer, don't forget it's your perfect Father in heaven who loves you more than you love your children, who cares about you, who wants to give to you more than you want to give and care about your children. And that's phenomenal. That's absolutely, and that'll shape and influence the way you approach God in prayer, the things that you pray When you pray, prayer begins with orienting ourselves with a gracious and loving Father in heaven who cares and who loves. The Father we read about in Luke 15 with the prodigal son. That's who you're praying to. That's who we're petitioning. A God who cares. Our Father in heaven. And that balance is getting too casual in our prayer. Balance is getting too sentimental. Too much Abba Father, too much Daddy, and not enough Alpha and Omega. Because He's high and lowly. He's Father and King. He's majestic and merciful. And so I think it's a very helpful exercise to prepare ourselves before we pray, haphazardly, casually, think about your Father. Think about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Think about the throne of heaven. Think about the throne of God that as a child of God becomes a throne of grace that we have access to through through Jesus, into the very presence of God. Think about what Isaiah saw. Think about what John saw in the book of Revelation. Visualize the throne room of God. That's where your prayers are going. And as you visualize the throne room of heaven, the throne room of God, that'll bring you like Isaiah, that'll bring you to your knees. That'll bring you to a place of reverence where our petition, our ultimate petition, our first petition is, hallowed be thy name. Even though He's my loving Father who cares about my needs, who has the ability in heaven to meet my needs, my first petition is not on my own behalf. It's on His behalf. Don't start. This is a warning right off the bat. Don't start your prayers with your self-seeking agenda. That's what Jesus is preaching against. Self-centeredness, self-righteousness. I want to tell you that's hard. Having studied this prayer for weeks and studying Principles related to prayer for a long time because I feel like at times my prayer life is deficient. That's why we preach often on things that we're struggling with and wanting to have a better, more intimate relationship with God. And thinking about my prayers, having, knowing that you need to start your prayers and, begin, and everything's about the, the name of God, hallowing the name of, of God. We're going to talk about what that means. But even knowing that, even recognizing that, I can't tell you how much of a struggle it is when I begin my prayer to not go right into my to-do list for God in my own little world right? Hallowed be thy name. I'm here for your agenda. I'm here for your name to be hallowed. The focal point of prayer is the glory and honor of God and His kingdom. It's about building His empire, not my empire. It's about getting what He wants, not what I want. Not about hallowing my name and reputation, but hallowing His name and reputation. All of my petitions must fit within the context of His glory and His kingdom and His will. So what does it mean to hallow the name of God? Think about when Moses asked God, show me your glory, in Exodus 33, and God said, I'm going to let my, my, have my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord. And we go on to read what happened. What happened? Did God go by Moses going, Lord, Lord, over and over and over? Was that what that meant? He went by and proclaimed the name of the Lord, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity. It's personality. So the name embodies all that God is, all that God does. We're revering, we're honoring, we're treasuring all that God is in His nature and His character. That's what it means to hallow the name of God. What does it mean to do the opposite of that, which will reinforce what it means to revere God? What's irreverence? We have another event also involving Moses where Moses was told by God to speak to the rock and to provide water for the people and Moses struck the rock and it cost him entering into the physical promised land. And no matter what the justification, no matter what the circumstance or the excuse, what's the bottom line here? God says, you did not believe me to hallow me. Irreverence is distrust and disobedience to God. That's when we're irreverent. Reverence is the opposite. When we trust God enough to do what He says. Exactly what He says. That's how we hallow God's name. The petitions and the confessions in prayer are driven by what you hallow. And so what do we need to demote from the hallowed place in our lives and in our prayers? Money, pleasure, self. All of our problems, all of our failures relate to praise, relate to adoration. And our materialistic prosperity gospel Self-centered society has tried to make God a cosmic genie. God is sovereign. We are His servants. And if you reverse that, your prayers will be taking the name of the Lord in vain. They'll be irreverent, and they won't be heard. They won't be answered. Hallowed be thy name. You know what's interesting about this? It's not just praise. It's a petition. Think about, you know, we're starting out, and we should start off with praise, but it's not just about praising God. It's not just adoration. It's a petition. It's in the third person imperative. We're asking God to do something. It's not just acclamation. It's supplication. This is our main, ultimate petition. God, hallow your name. Hallowed be thy name. And you could argue, I'm going to argue, that everything that follows, all the other petitions, all the other requests feed into this. His kingdom comes for this. His will is done for this. We're given daily bread so we can live for this. We're forgiven for this. 1 John 2.12, I said that's one of the most assuring verses in the entire Bible, as we've studied 1 John. We're forgiven for His namesake. Not because I'm worthy or deserving. That's when I lose my assurance. But He's going to forgive to glory and hallow His name. His grace, His mercy, his, who He is as God. Merciful and forgiving iniquity. That's why He forgives me. And He's zealous to do that because He's zealous to hallow and glorify His name. And that gives me confidence. That gives me assurance. Temptation is escaped and we're preserved and directed and protected for this. This is the goal of all of it. This is the prayer in all of it. God, hallowed be Thy name. That's how Jesus prayed. John 12, now my soul is... Troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. In, intense adversity, intense trouble and tribulation in His life at this critical juncture, uh, juncture and moment in His life. What was His prayer? Glorify Your name. Hallowed be Your name. Use me for Your purposes, Your cause, Your will. Glorify Your name. God wants to meet your needs. God wants to help you with your problems. But the best way for Him to do that is for you to hallow His name, advance His kingdom, and submit to His will. There's more hope in healing and hallowing the name of God than there is in anything else. And that's what we discover in prayer. Thy kingdom come. That was the theme of His preaching and His praying. In what sense? How do we pray this prayer today? Thy kingdom come. You know, I can vividly remember we would kneel at the goal post before the running out on the field before the football came. Sometimes it would interrupt some of the profanities that were circulating with some of the players, unfortunately. And we'd kneel and we'd pray the Lord's Prayer every time. And wanting to know what, what are we praying about? You know, thinking about being thoughtful. What are we saying? We're saying this over and over. What are we praying for? And then Thy kingdom come. And I was conflicted about that because I had understood the church had been, that prayer had been answered in that sense not long after Jesus prayed it. So how do we pray thy kingdom come? So I would change the words, thy kingdom's come. I don't know if that disturbed anybody around me. Thy kingdom's come. But I think there's a sense in which we can still pray thy kingdom come today. Not in that sense, but may it come to more and more people. May it come to more and more hearts in lives, in cities, in nations. We can't shut up. We can't stop until that becomes a reality. That's our prayer. That's our purpose. We're praying that the holiness and reverence and worship going on in heaven will come to earth, bring heaven to earth. The church is the answer to that prayer. You are the answer to that prayer. Thy kingdom come. We're praying that more and more people would hallow the name of God. This is evangelistic prayer. This is a missionary prayer. Our agenda our ambition, our altar is the kingdom of God. Do whatever advances your kingdom. Use us to advance your kingdom. That's our prayer. And the clothing, the food, the shelter comes after that. Romans fourteen seventeen. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We're praying it would come in that way. Not just in salvation, but in sanctification, in strength, and in number, and in maturity. In devotion, may it come in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You think about how Jesus goes on after some of these prayers to say, if you'll ask, it'll be given. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, it'll be opened. Whatever you ask. Is it unlimited? Is it unconditional? In my name, by my authority, according to my will. That's the key. And so it's limited by things we've studied in 1 John. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him. That's what Jesus said, because we keep His commandments. We cooperate with God in our prayers. Chapter 5, verse 15, now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that, here's the condition, if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And that's the key. You can't pray according to the will of God if you don't know the will of God. That's why it starts with being a good student. If you're going to be a good conversationalist, you have to be a good listener a great listener. We let what God has to say speak to us first. That feeds our prayers. It shapes our prayers. And that's why I'm convinced we ought to be praying in the language of Scripture. It's the only way I feel safe that my prayers are going to be heard and answered. If you pray hallowed be their name, you know that prayer is getting answered. God's zealous to do that. He's going to do that. Advance your kingdom. Your will be done. Those things are going to get done. We're praying for things God's promised. We're praying in the language of prayer. Pray with Paul. And the prayers of Paul, pray the Psalms. One of the most fruitful exercises, read through the Psalms. In your own words, the meaning in the text, pray the Psalms. You'll be praying for all sorts of things. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Add meat to the bones, the outline, and pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray in the language of Scripture. That's the only way we can ask according to God's will. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is God's will done in heaven? Immediately, perfectly, completely, joyfully sincerely, we want that here. That's our prayer in our life, in my heart, in my mind, as I influence those around me. That was the prayer of Jesus over and over and over. He said, that's why I'm here. That's what my life's all about. Let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The more you pray like Jesus, the more you become like Jesus, the more consumed you are with God's will and God's kingdom. And the less consumed you are, with your will, except as it's aligning with His. Not, my will be done with your help, your will be done with my help. That's our prayer. And we think this is all about us, and our prayers are all about us. We've missed the point, and that's why we're so messed up. We've made it about us, and not His name, His kingdom, His will. And we're not praying, "Thy will be done. With resentment and bitterness. I mean, have you ever been there where it's like, I can't do anything about this anyway. Your will's going to be done anyway. You're too big. You're too strong. Thy will be done. We tack that on like we don't really believe anything's going to change or happen anyway because He's sovereign. Thy will be done. It's not resentment. It's not passive resignation. This prayer defines and outlines the spirit that we're to pray with, the attitude we're to pray with. Go through each petition, selfless, childlike, reverent, loyal, thy kingdom, submissive, thy will be done, dependent, I need you, even for food, my daily bread, penitent, forgive us our debts, humble, confident, triumphant, exultant. We're praying this with faith, with hope, with love, with joy, with conviction, confidence, and commitment. And so many see this prayer in two parts. The first three are the thys, the second three are the ours or the us's. But I'm going to argue that even the ours, even the us's, feed the thighs, are all part of the ultimate petition, which is, Hallowed be thy name. Because I can't hallow your name, I can't advance your kingdom, I can't do your will if you don't sustain me, if you don't preserve me. It's really a confession as much as a petition. God, we can't survive if you don't feed us. God, we can't survive spiritually and emotionally, if you don't forgive us. God, we can't survive if you don't protect us. It covers all the bases past, present and future. Physical, emotional, mental, spiritual covers everything. And we're recognizing and affirming God, you're the source. God, I know where this comes from, and I will not be ungrateful. I will not be one of the nine who fail to return and thank Christ. We're going to pray with thanksgiving and gratitude. Philippians 4, even when we're making our petitions, before they're even answered, we're praying with thanksgiving. Why? Because we know God knows and He'll do what's best. And we're thankful, whatever He decides. How often do we return to thank God and Christ, what they've done for in answering our prayers? That's very convicting. How often do you come back after making your petitions and thank God? How often do you thank God when you're making your petitions? I didn't do all this. I didn't deserve all this. Give us this day our daily bread. Do we make this petition because we have to beg God to feed His children? Is that what this is about? Again, these are all things He's already promised. I'm going to do this. We're asking God to keep His promise, and He's going to fulfill His promise. This is about acknowledging and affirming who's doing the feeding. It's a prayer of faith. We believe in you. We trust you for it. We are totally dependent upon you. Whether you're a beggar who needs, or you're someone who has and wants to continue, the prayer's the same. Not presumptuous, thinking he's going to keep making it rain every day, or arrogant and thinking I'm going to go out and earn it all by myself. The prayer and the petition's the same. The lavish requests were about the thighs, about God. Your name is your kingdom, your will. That, those are the lavish requests. Now we're to the basics. Feed us, forgive us, protect us. Not praying for bigger barns that we can say to our soul, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Excess that can become a snare. The Bible warns us, don't pray to be rich or poor. We're praying that I would have everything I need of daily bread and daily forgiveness and daily guidance and direction and protection so that I can be about these great purposes in my life. That's our prayer. Our daily bread reminds us of the manna sent from heaven that began to stink after 24 hours. That's the point. It's about faith. It's about trust. It's not just a lump sum that can be forgotten about and run out. God knows and has promised to provide for your needs daily, every day, new every morning. He pays attention to our daily needs every day so that we can take it one day at a time. We can have contentment and confidence in God's daily provisions, so that we don't have to be anxious about the future. Matthew chapter 6. So why, again, do we have to ask? God's omniscient, God's omnibenevolent, God's omnipotent, all these omnis, all the sovereignty, why ask? What's the point in praying? And Jesus says it's actually the exact opposite conclusion. That's the impetus for praying. Because you have such a Father in heaven. Pray without ceasing. Keep knocking. Keep searching. God's promised to feed, forgive, and protect us, and yet He still wants us to ask. Just like parents with children, we want them to ask for our sakes. I'm hungry. I know you love me. I know you have promised to provide for me. I just want you to know I need you. God wants to know, do you trust me enough to tell me about it? To give me your heart, to give me your problems, to trust me with them, to share them with me. Prayer is communion, not a vending machine. And that's the point. And so because we're giving our daily physical needs to God, our daily bread is provided by God, we're giving that to God. We can set our affections on things above. We're free to get our eyes up and focus on the spiritual, and that's the focus and the emphasis in this prayer. And remember, the kingdom comes before your daily bread. Greater than your daily the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life for ourselves and others. You feed someone daily bread, you fed them for a day. You feed them the bread of life, you fed them for life. Where's the focus? Where's the emphasis? You know, the rebellious son in Luke 15 wanted his, his father's stuff. He wanted his father's money. And when conversion happened, when transformation happened, he just wanted his father. It's not, I want something from God, I want God. That's my prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And note, if this meant, and we've talked a lot about this in 1 John, if this meant that as a citizen of the kingdom, as a child of God, I had to be perfect, why would Jesus tell us to pray, forgive us our debts? Again, this is a petition humbly acknowledging our dependence for every need, including the most important need, reconciliation to God through Christ, forgiveness. Six times we find this word in this very text. Our greatest need, providing for our past, our present, and our future. And on what basis can I make this request? First John, the propitiation and advocacy of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is warning us throughout this prayer about praying hypocritically. Praying for these things and not doing anything about it. Every, every petition... Hallow thy name, and not doing anything about it. Thy kingdom come, and not doing anything about it. Thy will be done, and not doing anything about it. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The hypocrisy of asking God to do something, we obviously won't. That we obviously don't esteem as important and worthy and valuable, that we don't think is good, that we think is bad by our actions. Think about Matthew 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant, who essentially was forgiven by God, A 200,000-year wage debt. And then he turns around and he won't forgive somebody. He owed him a three-month wage debt. You know what the root of that is? You know know how that happens? You know how we get self-centered and self-righteous and unforgiving in our interactions with others? When we quit being amazed by our debt. When we quit being amazed that God forgave our debt. Be more amazed that God forgave you in spite of your debt than you are amazed that somebody wronged you today. We'll become like the Pharisee in Luke 18 who prayed, God, I thank you. That was a great start. I mean, that was the best part of his prayer was, I thank you, Father. And then what did he say? I'm not like this. I don't do this. I don't do that. And I'm not like this publican who's standing afar off in a place of solitude, wouldn't lift up his eyes, said, Father, beat his his breast and said, Father, forgive me for I'm a sinner. Jesus said, that's the man who's right. That's the man who goes home justified, the one who acknowledges their debt. And that'll transform the way you interact and relate to God the way you interact and relate to other people. Us means we're all in the same boat. None righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we pray this prayer for ourselves and for each other to a God, to a father, Luke 15, a father who was willing to forgive the elder son he stayed home and was self-righteous in the unrighteous son who left and wasted his substance with riotous living that's the father we're praying to forgive us our debts the one who who took initiative to meet us to call us to send his son to Hades so that we could escape hell and die for us who delights the bible says who is charmed to forgive us will forgive us as often as we come as often as we keep coming back, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. That's the God we pray to. That's the Father we pray to. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What's your prayer for the future? Talks about some of the past and the present. What are you praying for regarding your future? What are you praying for regarding those you love and care about and each other? What are, what's our prayer for the future? Well, if they haven't been born again in the kingdom, if they're not in this kingdom, we're praying for that, hopefully, right? Think of many people. Still, that I pray about multiple times a day that this would become a reality. They would come to know Jesus, that they'd be born again and transformed by the gospel and the kingdom of, of, of God. But once somebody's done that, what do we pray for next? This. That's the prayer we should be praying for our future, for each other. Don't allow us into something that'll ruin us morally, that'll destroy me, that'll, that'll be more than we can bear. And again, not one of these requests is something God hasn't already promised to give us. 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you except this common demand that, you, that nobody else has experienced, especially Christ. God's faithful who will allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. He knows what you're able to, to handle, and that's the promise. With the temptation, will make a way out, a way of escape. So again, why do we have to ask for something He's already promised? I think all these petitions, in part, are to guard us against the sin of presumption. Let him that thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. You know, it's interesting in James chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. It's a good thing to be tried. Then he goes on to say in verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil when he himself tempts no one. Same word. Same word translated trial in verse 2 is the same word translated temptation in verse 13. So is it good or bad? How do we understand this? God wants it to be a trial, that's the positive side of that circumstance, to test you. We've talked a lot about that in 1 Peter, the context of suffering. Two parts on why we suffer and how to respond to suffering, being refined by fire, that's good for us. God wants it to be a trial and test that refines you, that purifies you. Satan wants it to be a temptation that destroys you. And the difference is made by the Word of God in prayer. That's what makes all the difference, whether it's a trial and a test or a temptation. Matthew 4, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempt, tempted by Satan. God meant it to prove His virtue. Satan meant it to destroy His virtue. So is it a trial or a temptation? Yes. Assume it's both. We need trials, but there's within them the potential for that trial to become a temptation. So how am I to understand this petition? Lead us not to temptation, but trials are good. Are we praying that we would never be tested, would never be refined, challenged, grow? How am I to understand this petition? It's a cry from someone who knows themselves well enough to know, I don't trust myself. I don't trust myself. Pray the Psalms. We talked about. The benefit of doing that. If you pray the Psalms, you'll pray a lot of prayers for protection, for God to be your wing, for God to be your hiding place, your strong place, your refuge, your fortress, your rock. I know I have to suffer trials and tests so that I can be refined by fire for your glory, for your kingdom, for my benefit and the benefit of others. Joseph told his brothers, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. So God, please allow these things to be tests that perfect me, not temptations that ruin me and destroy me. I want this to strengthen my faith and my dependency in you and not weaken my faith. Psalm 23, this is our prayer. Lord, lead me in obedient paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Hallowed be thy name in this trial, in this test. Prepare me, ready me, strengthen me to face whatever comes at me tomorrow. That's our prayer for the future. And if you mean that, if you mean that, you're going to walk circumspectly. You're going to flee fornication. You're going to put on the whole armor of God, as we've been talking about. Otherwise, your prayer is hypocrisy. All these requests, if we don't mean it, if we don't do anything about it, pray for evangelism, pray for Nigeria and India and Belize and Amarillo. And we don't do anything about it, it's hypocrisy. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Prayer will keep you watchful. Watchfulness will keep you prayerful. He prayed. They slept. He triumphed. They were defeated. That's how Jesus fought evil. That's how we fight back. Through the Word of God and through prayer. This is how he prayed. I do not ask that you take them out of the world because our mission's in the world. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. That's answered in us. But that you keep them from the evil one. Let this cup pass from me, Spare me, if possible, but if not, steady me so that I don't fall. And it's hard to stumble on your knees. So as you look at some of the conclusions or some of the principles we learn from prayer, hindrances to answered prayer, the uns. You know what we, you don't have? James says because you don't ask. Unprayed prayers. Unmitigated sin. Don't expect God to listen to you if you're not listening to Him. Sin will keep you from praying. Praying will keep you from sinning. Unforgiveness, unbelief, passive resignation and resentment. We don't think it's going to do anything anyway. I love the story of the elderly Christian woman who went to a prayer meeting for rain with an umbrella, right? Maybe we need to have some of those prayer meetings. Praying with faith. Qualities of answered prayer. We talked about that. Sincerity, fervency, watchfulness, humility, persistently, faithfully, in Jesus' name, obediently. And again, that goes back to not praying hypocr- uh, hypocritically. You know, faith without works is dead. Prayer without works is dead too. Prayer changes things because it changes us. And that changes things. Who can pray and steal at the same time? Who can pray and get angry at their coworker at the same time? That's, it can be done. <laughs> but it's challenging. It's hard. And that's the point. Talk to God throughout the day. Love the poem, Living What We Pray For. I I knelt to pray when day was done and prayed, O Lord, bless everyone. Lift from each saddened heart the pain and let the sick be well again. And then I woke another day and carelessly went on my way. The whole day long I did not try to wipe a tear from any eye. I did not try to share the load of any brother on the road. I did not even go to see the sick man just next door to me. Yet once again when day was done, I prayed, O Lord, bless everyone. But as I prayed into my ear, there came a voice that whispered clear, Pause now, my son, before you pray. Whom have you tried to bless today? God's sweetest blessings always go by hands that serve Him here below. And then I hid my face and cried, Forgive me, God, I have not tried, but let me live another day and I will live the way I pray. Let's pray at this time. Our Father in heaven, we only come before you again, thanking you for this special day and this special privilege to worship you, to express our hearts, to you in praise and in song and as we study your word and in prayer and we pray, Father, that all that we do will be honoring of you and all that you are, all that you do, that we would sanctify you in our hearts, set you apart as holy, as supremely valuable and important in our lives, Father. We pray that we would have enough of our daily bread and daily forgiveness and daily guidance and protection from you, Father, that we can be about these great purposes to advance your kingdom and to do your will. And Father, we thank you for Christ, the basis of of which that we can approach you in prayer, that we can approach your throne, which becomes a throne of grace, that we can receive help in time of need. And it's this prayer we offer in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Prayer begins and ends with the glory of God, with adoration and reverence for God. And everything in between, I hope this is the whole point. Of the sermon. If you don't take anything else away, the whole everything in between, the beginning and end is about God too. It's about God too. God's paternity, God's priority, God's program, purpose, provision, pardon, preeminence, protection. Prayer is not to stand at wide intersections, to be seen of men, for our attention and glory to make much of ourselves, but it's about making much of God. That's why we pray, and that's how we pray. As we offer an invitation, I want to go back leading into this prayer. Jesus essentially says, don't pray like pagans. And that doesn't mean don't ask for things. He goes on to tell us to ask for things. It's not about asking for things. It's how you ask for things. It's the approach. Every time you interact with somebody, there's a basis for the exchange, a basis for the approach. If I met a complete stranger, give me your wallet. There's not enough basis for that exchange. That exchange is going to be different versus the exchange I have with my children. Because there's a deeper basis. And so there's essentially two bases by which we can approach God. There's a business relationship. That basis is based on what I have for you, my performance. The implication with the pagans praying is you got to spend the first few minutes trying to get God's attention, like the bell worshippers. You got to cut yourself up and you got to try to wake God because he might not care, he might not notice, he might be on vacation. Pray through hear that a lot. Like God's behind this wall and, we, and our prayers are a battering ram that we're trying to earn His audience and earn His favor. Vain, empty, anxious babbling in prayer is a sign of a business relationship. It's cold, it's impersonal, it's just duty. And how we pray, how we approach God in prayer says a lot about our view of God. It says a lot about the basis and the faith versus a family relationship which is based on what I am to you. On the basis of what Christ has done to make you my father, to make me your child, to adopt me into your family. It's warm, it's confident, it's personal. I'm a child of God, not a tenant with an absentee, ticked-off landlord. And if we don't understand that, if we don't understand our adoption, we don't know what it means to be a Christian, and we don't know what it means to pray like a Christian. In His name, in the name of Christ, we can approach God boldly and confidently in prayer. Start your prayer by saturating yourself with the ado- doctrine of adoption. Because if we don't understand our adoption, if we don't understand God as Father, we will not be shameless in our persistent pursuit and prayer. Jesus goes on to say like the woman who just wouldn't stop until the judge heard her case, persistency, the word there, is shameless. She was shameless to keep knocking. You will not be shameless in your pursuit of God in your prayers, and you'll pray like a pagan. And if you don't want to be a pagan this morning, you've got to be a child of God. In a business relationship, a family relationship, God has to be your father. You have to be his child. You have to be born again in the kingdom of, uh, of God. And all that entails, crucifying the old man, burying him, raised to walk in newness of life, changed, transformed, putting on the name of Christ. And if you need to do that, we would encourage you to do that. As Carrie prayed, pray that you would know Christ this morning. That's our prayer. The kingdom would come to you this morning. Maybe you're here and you've, you've made that decision, but maybe as a Christian, maybe you need prayers for your past, your present, and your future. You need God's direction. You need God's protection in your life. The Bible says in James 5, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And it goes on to give the example of Elijah, the power of prayer, what prayer can do. And we see that throughout scripture, the power of prayer, what prayer can do. It changes things because it changes us And if you need to be changed by the power of prayer, let's not ever lose our awe and wonder and reverence for what we're doing in prayer. Who are the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the throne of heaven, the throne of God? Don't ever let that get stale. Don't ever let that get mindless and meaningless and heartless and casual and flippant. And we have the opportunity on your behalf, your needs, your requests, that God already knows, God already cares, God's already promised to do something about it. He just wants to know what you ask me. Will you give it to me? And if you need to respond to the Father's invitation, he invites you to come as we stand and sing.